0: Video. You know you need it. You know it's all but expected from Gen Z at this point. But you've got no time and little budget, and your Marcom department is two months late on those new program brochures they promised. So asking them to help with a video? Forget it. But what if video could be as simple as sending an email to a prospective student? Meet Goodkind, a video engagement platform designed to make each one of your prospects feel like they're getting the extra special treatment. As an enrollment manager, you're competing for attention. And in a sea full of static, boring HTML emails from other schools, a personal video is how you stand out and drive action. With Goodkind, you can bring your university, faculty, and students to life by designing an engaging, hyper-personalized, and video-first communications journey. Increase Applications – increase yield, and decrease melt with the power of Goodkind. Visit wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify to book a demo and see just how powerful video marketing can be. Show your face, show you care, see the difference connection makes at wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify.
1: When I was still working directly in higher ed and having, you know, having that responsibility for for our marketing campaigns. And I knew I we were doing lots of testimonials and getting, I kept a running list, a roster of people to use when the time was right to use them. When, when I found someone's story, when they were applying to enroll, who was this person? How do they fit in the mix? What's their major? What topic is their story? I just had a spreadsheet list, and I might have 10 to 15 names on it at any given time. So when we were ready to do the next, we had six testimonials running at any given time. And I would run them for about a year. And once one of them hit a, their year coming up, I'm ready to replace it with a new one. So we might be doing two or three new ones every year to keep that rotation because you got to keep it fresh.
0: Welcome to Fanatical Fridays, a weekly podcast where I sit down with Mickey Baines, a principal at Kennedy and Company, which is a higher education consulting firm, to discuss the traits, the strategies, and the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. I'm Zach Boozy Cruz, founder here at Enroll. Enjoy the show. So we uh, we found the record button.
1: Yep, I see the status. We're recording. Um, you know, just a little click here, a little click there. You need some technical support. That's what I'm here for.
0: Um, oh, Mickey, what would I do without you? Yes, um, you you'll get a
1: brief survey uh, after we wrap this call. Um, asking you to, <laughs> to provide some feedback on how well I performed in providing you service today. I would greatly appreciate your honest and transparent feedback.
0: Yes, 10-star ratings all around. well folks turns out um in order to record a podcast you should be you should be logged in if in fact you are the host of that podcast and if you're not logged in you might not see a record button so pro tip pro tip if you are the host of a podcast be sure you are logged into your podcast recording software if you want to see that magical
1: red record button or invite mickey to be a guest who can walk you through that process if you get stuck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. What day is it? It's a it's a Wednesday. You know, it feels like a it feels like a Monday. It feels like a I don't know what I don't know what day it feels like to be it honest. It feels like a
1: Wednesday because it's the middle of the week. Yeah. Yeah. You're forgetting Zach. Monday is the best day of the week. I agree. Actually, Monday's Have my you? favorite day Can live every live every day like it's a Monday um, is what I say. Now, I get a lot of rolled eyes, so I don't say it publicly too often. <laughs> Yeah, you're Every coming. You're coming day. off
0: that weekend rest. You're coming off that weekend high. You're, you know, opening your 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 inbox for the first time, and it's hopefully not too overwhelmed. My the, the, my favorite thing on a Monday morning is to go and just click like Shift Control and highlight all like the newsletter spam that I got. Like everyone sends email newsletters out between like seven and nine a.m. on Mondays. I just click delete. And my inbox goes to like, you know, zero unread messages or like two unread messages. It's it's one of the most empowering feelings. So do you not use um, Google Gmail? No, we we still use Outlook. We're, yeah. we're old school like that. Yeah, man. that's an
1: issue. So i mine are, mine are all tabbed out. So I, you know, while they're there, they're not in my inbox. They're in another tab. And I know they're not as important. And I'll go through those. First thing, 5 a.m. in the morning, I'm, I'll, I'll look through the forum digests and the updates from all the technology vendors we work with and all that stuff. And then I go to the inbox. But, you know, normally I do that also on Sunday. I get a lot of those forum digests on Sunday morning. So I have those already worked out before Monday gets in. But Monday uh, Monday's a you know fantastic day. I mean, you really get to set what it is you're looking to achieve for the week. Um, and it can be lofty or not, but you have control yeah. over that on Monday. You don't it still have to feel optimistic. Yeah. The, 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 well, the outlook have, is you know, optimistic. Yes. Well, on Monday you have control or at least more control and maybe not complete, but you have more control on what you can get achieved in the week than mm-hmm. you have on Thursday or Friday. And so if you attack Monday, right. And set the right pace and the right, Goals or activities that you need to complete for the week, and you set that right. Friday is a better day. If you don't get Monday right, Friday is a stressful day. That's when you're like, oh, I'm ready for the weekend all the time. You're always going to be like, oh, just can't wait for this day to be over for the weekend. You have that sometimes, but if you have it all the time, then I suggest you look at what you're doing on Monday so that you don't end a Friday that way.
0: Words of wisdom from time management master himself master. Oh, I wish
1: I was, you know, you're really, I, I no, 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 but you're I'm really spending, good. You're really good. No, well, I, you know, the last three weeks I'm spending seven and a half hours a day in on calls and zoom and stuff. Um, and, and it's, 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 that's taxing. I mean, and that's like five days a week. Um, that's you know, crazy. I, it, I, I, 10 to 13 calls a day that. is too much. Um, And so I'm, I, I I'm, I see it like, this week's pretty good because it's down to like nine and a half to 11. And, and I see next week coming and I know it's going to come down to about eight to 10 and eight is still a lot, but if I can get it to eight, I can not have to worry about what Friday will look like. So
0: geez, man, geez. Well, I think that's actually a nice little segue into our, our topic for today. So while this doesn't, mean as much to many of our listeners who are higher ed practitioners in the, in the business world, right? We just wrapped Q1, Q1 of, of 2022, which ended on March 31st. And I always like at the end of a quarter to think through, all right, what worked well that quarter, what didn't work well that quarter, what behaviors or habits might I want to change as I approach this, this next quarter and even though our higher ed friends and, and family here don't necessarily think in, in these sorts of chunks of time as, as religiously as we might, Mickey, I still think that, you know, it, it could be a good helpful reminder for folks to kind of pause, think about sort of like where we're at in the academic year, and potentially reflect on all right, over the last few months, what's what are a couple things that I've learned that I want to keep doing? What are a couple of things that I've you know learned about myself or my you know behavior that I want to stop doing? And then maybe what are some some new things that I want to that I want to start doing? So I thought it would be fun to just do a little bit of a reflection and then a little bit of like brainstorming on just personally and, and professionally, Mickey, like how we want to approach the next the next three months. So first and foremost, is there is there anything that you've learned about yourself, about marketing, about technology, about consulting, about higher ed, whatever it is in this the first quarter of this year that you really hope to to replicate or or keep doing in in this next quarter. And if so, what is that?
1: Um, I want to say there's something new. Uh, so the, the probably the most overused word that I use with our team over the past six months, maybe four months, five months, um, is evolution. Hmm. And, you know, our company, uh, or at least our technology services practice we're we're in a transition phase of this really small team to this next level. Team, whatever that is, in terms of size and how you manage things, there's, there's, and I and I talk with schools when they're launching new programs and as they're building up processes. A lot as you think about how you're going to do this work. You're not, you know, if you're starting with zero and your goal for the first round of students is is 500, you're not building it for 3,000 that 3,000 students. You're building it for that 500, knowing that there's a point in time when you're at 500. Maybe it's when you get to 800. Those processes don't work anymore, and you have to mm. shift for a thousand. And build for that, and and that's that's where we where we are. Um, that impacts multiple things for us. It impacts how we staff. It impacts our structure and the roles that we have. It impacts our methodology. It impacts our goals, um, financial goals. And so we're in that shift, and we're making a step. We're crossing, you know, a, a threshold of sorts. So. So evolution is a term. Uh, and so it's not necessarily did you learn this or that? It's how do we where are we in that phase? And I think about this, I don't say daily. I think about it weekly, but most days of the week, there's something we'll cross like, okay, are we accounting for this? Are we thinking about this? Um, and and so this year, what we what I did a little differently this year for us that I haven't done before is as there are three goals and metrics that we have in place to monitor our progression. Um, in any business, one of them is going to be sales, All right? We're looking at sales. But I'm also looking at revenue and those are two different things. We will sell during the year and we will collect revenue during the year. And those don't always align the way you think because you might sell a project, that's supposed to start in February. It doesn't start until April instead, and there's something else comes up. Enrollment cycles get in the way, and it slows down and doesn't progress at the same rate. So, if it's where it was to have started in February and ends in October, maybe it starts in April and doesn't end in February. And in that mm. scenario, some of that revenue that you collect doesn't come until next fiscal year. So, if I have a quota, not a quota, we don't have quotas. If I have a goal of sales. You can't associate and assume that every one of those dollars turns into revenue in that same this year. Period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and we know that some projects carry over, and we account for that. But, but others unant- are unanticipated. You know, g- another good example. Last year, we had um, a client sign on for a project, midsize project, um, f- to help them build out technology for a new program that they had launched or in the process of launching. Uh, change in in leadership at the presidential level. Um, and they kiboshed that entire effort, that new program they were launching hmm. and kiboshed that. So we did not, you know, so we signed sales, got zero revenue and that starts to throw it off. Um, and we didn't always, we knew that that could happen, but we didn't set a goal for revenue to say, okay, we, you know, this helps us think through those things so that the goal in that sense was more about what we monitor. And so this year, we we have we're breaking that apart and we're kind of monitoring the the revenue more because as you get larger there when you're small cash flow matters you know you if a project slows down with a group of 3 people and you may not get cash and you, you know you got to worry about it, but it's a little different in that the dollars you need to generate every month or every quarter are more significant because you've got a larger team so we're looking at that. And then the third thing, and it's something that was generally on my mind, but not something we're looking at as specifically, is, is what is our capacity mm. for our staff and how much work we can take on and what is too little and what is too much uh, for them. And it's not looking at how much each person works. It's just helping us understand, you know, if I look at our team's hours for a period of time. And they're beyond a specific capacity level. And I know that coming up in the next three weeks. So if we had three weeks, we're above 95%. And I know we're going to be that way for another three weeks. It might be time to hire so that we're thinking clearly and we're not always overreactive in the hiring, that we're waiting too late to make hires and you've got too much burnout you know, we've been very fortunate and I'm a superstitious person a little bit, so I'm not getting on wood here that we've not had turnover through the great resignation period that other people have had. And and so we, we everybody's still with us and including the people we had. So, but, you know, I want, you know, if we overtax people and don't pay attention to that, then it could turn into one of those scenarios. Um, and so, you know, I want to be sure that we're monitoring that and paying attention to it. And, and as you, you know, as we grow at this point, the growth pace is going to be greater than last year. Um, but last year we, we we grew a little bit, not as much as the previous year. So so when you look at the growth over time, the percentage will be back to the normal percentage of growth, but you know, percentage of growth at half a million dollars, you know, if it's 30% growth at half a million versus a million, that's still much more significant. So yeah. um, you know, we're we're growing at, at a the same pace, but that is larger amounts of, of growth, more projects, more clients, more revenue, more staff. And we just have to monitor that, that staffing uh, more closely. Um, you know, it's easy to supervise a team of five, you know, a team of 20 is you you have to adjust for that. And yeah. So I'll, I'm, this is really long winded. So I apologize. You, but you, you opened the door, Zach. No, I love it. I love it. Uh, and so the other thing we think about a growth as, as, as we grow the number of clients, the number of projects, uh, and we have that team of, 20 people, you know, that organizationally requires a different little bit of shift. And what are the roles? You know, what you needed someone to do initially is not necessarily what we need that position, not necessarily person, but that position to do today. So how do we modify and grow and evolve the positions and ensure that the people in those positions are happy about that, can do the work that they love to do? How do we build the position and the people and ensure that everything's aligned? Um, and that's important. When you've got a good team, you might need to evolve a position that's not right for the person in that position. So how do you, if that's a person that's doing really good work, and we're fortunate that we have that, how, what do I then do to accommodate that person to ensure that they can continue to grow and evolve with you? That doesn't mean that they will always want to do it, but at least we're trying to create that opportunity. And that's really, for me, that's really important. And so that's, you know, how do we evolve that? So we we're, you know, all that administrative thing is going on in the background right now for us. And um, this is, you know, it's, I love what I do. Anybody that's worked with me knows that I really <laughs> dive into this stuff and love it. And this is a different part of the work that I love equally as much as everything else. So um, what's going on this year? Evolution and just seeing us progress. It's it's for me, some of the most fulfilling bit of work that we do. I always say I've progressed in my career by doing what I love and helping and supporting students and every move I've made has, has kept me in that realm. It's just taking me one step further removed from direct contact the student. And, and what I'm doing right now, as we grow our team is, is in a sense still a part of that because I don't get to spend, you know, 20 to 30 hours a week directly with clients. I spend eight to 12 hours a week directly with clients yeah. now. Yeah. And so those are the projects I'm working with a team that's working with the Project team that's working with the client that's work you know it's, but it's still at the end of the day, what type of experience are we trying to create for students? How are we helping institutions enroll the right students, more of the right students? Now, that work is still occurring, and it's so I get that fulfillment, and I get to do it in a slightly different uh, way, which is really fun.
0: Well, you guys certainly have. A lot going on. You certainly have a lot on your mind, which is which is great. You always do, Mickey. Which is one of the reasons <laughs> I love talking to you. I learned I, I always. I always. I always learn a lot from just your Mickey's random musings. Um, and uh, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach to answering this question, and just be a little bit more. Uh, just a, a, something I I learned this this past quarter was what it takes to do video really well and the way I've learned that is we're working on this um, master course with Terry Flannery on how to market university and I've spent most of the last quarter kind of on the road actually gathering content for for this course and you know I I've dabbled in directing video projects for institutions before, but it's, it's never been, it's always been like, Hey, we're launching a marketing campaign and video might be like, you know, the third or fourth or fifth bullet point associated with that campaign. So it's, it's, it's there, it's important, but it's not, it's not the central component of the campaign. Right. And in the, over the past couple of years, video equaled like animated film, like animated, you know, video short, if you will, because Mm -hmm of the pandemic. So now that um, travel is opened and and people are more receptive to having you on campus and whatnot, as we've been producing this, this master course, um, I feel like my eyes have just been opened very wide to the reality that video is incredibly powerful, incredibly important, and freaking hard to do well. Like, it is, it is, just labor intensive beyond just the technical components of like what it takes to nail a shoot. The, the artistry involved in like trying to figure out what story you want to tell and how to tell that story is, is just as if not, if not even more challenging. But what I've also learned in this past quarter is that if you can do that well, like, you can you can create an experience and a reaction that no blog post or no ebook or no other piece of what I'll just call flat content can can inspire. It, 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 if you can nail this well, it it pays dividends and and then some. Um, mm-hmm. And so, anyways, I guess that's a long way of just saying that. I've grown in dramatic appreciation for how to do video well, but then also have become quite sober to the reality of why why it is, why it does require the investment that it requires, if that makes
1: sense. Uh, I, I, I love video. Um, in technology, you know, when we're implementing CRM, that, in, that involves... Changing in process and and you know a lot of times we encounter oh we're gonna do all this and these all these things are gonna be automated now. That that eliminates 10 hours uh, or 20 hours of my week every week. Oh, what am I gonna be able to do with that time? And it's like no 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 it's not gonna give you 23 hours of work, it's going to create 15 to 25 hours of new work, smarter so you work save yeah. 20, it shifts. And I, I'll segue this back to what you're saying. When we look at marketing, and you look at digital communication, not video, email, SMS, there's a lot of time that has to go into content creation, writing. That's a, that's a time-consuming thing. Oh, dreadful, dreadful, time-consuming. <laughs> video, you're thinking, oh, I don't have to write all that content, especially if it's unscripted. Like, we can get those testimonials. No, 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 no. It's not saving all that time. The time is invested in different things. Yeah, the time yeah. is equally uh, as, as taxing, equally as dreadful if you don't like that type of work. And I, I always find with video, it's you want that story. You've got to get that story. A lot of things have to come to fruition perfectly. Like you, you've got to know the tone you want. you got to know the type of story that you're looking for. you got to find the person not just the person who has the story, but the person who can tell the story in a way that connects with video. Not everybody is naturally gifted in connecting with camera, and if you try to make that a performance or force that, it comes across as inauthentic, awkward, and non effective yeah yeah, and i you know there's so many people like you you can't cut a corner like that in video No, no um, and it's and it's can be time consuming you know. And I I remember vividly, and I loved doing this, by the way. I loved it. when I was still working directly in higher ed and having you know having that responsibility for for our marketing campaigns, and I knew I we were doing lots of testimonials and getting it. I kept a running list, a roster of people to use when the time was right to use them. when when I found someone's story, when they were applying to enroll, you know, I who was this person? How do they fit in the mix? What's their major? What topic is their story? I just had a spreadsheet list, and I might have 10 to 15 names on it at any given time. So when we were ready to do the next, we had six testimonials running at any given time. And I would run them for about a year. And once one of them hit a, their year coming up, I'm ready to replace it with a new one. So we might be doing two or three new ones every year to keep that rotation. Yeah. Because yeah. you got to keep it fresh. Um, but to keep that running roster, like someone had to do it. And I, you know, I didn't get to meet every student. We had, I don't know, 1,500 students. I meet 10 to 20% of them. So how do I then other find them? You know, I've got to create ways for our staff in our, to have those conversations, to let people tell the stories of the students. Um, I read every applicant's their essay so I could understand. Like, we had to craft that. And so we had to find That was... A way to do it and you know I, I, I do a version of that today I was just telling some of our team this as we're hiring I have a roster of potential candidates not of people that have applied but of people that I've come across that I've met that I found on LinkedIn that fit criteria that I think could potentially be a fit so that when that fit spot opens up we can help recruit them and I yeah. look at what our what we want is in our, in our hiring it's same thing when, when I'm doing video what is what type of background? What? How do they add to our our diverse mix of people and personalities that make a complete, thought-provoking, client-supporting team? All of these, things, m- just a whole mix of things. Um, and, yeah. and I, you know, okay, we look at some someone at a particular level. Then I reach out to everybody on that level. And say, hey, we got a, this. You know, I, I found you X Y Z, or we spoke in doing this. I just want you to know we've got this position. Look at it. If you think there's any chance you might be interested, let's just talk and see if there's an opportunity. Uh, and, but I, it's the same thing I did with the marketing, but it's, you know, you got to have that. Sorry. I, I've gone on a big segue. No, no, uh, I like, no,
0: I, uh, I like it. I I love the way your brain works. Um, so when but when you think but, uh, about the video
1: but, and how hard that is, that's just one of the factors, the casting exactly is, is exactly, the fact the that casting, can be very time consuming. Yeah, yeah. And, but it was easier when you're, when you know you're going to be doing this every year to keep that roster rather than yep. going back and spending the hours. Yep, I just kept yep, adding yep. as I found them and that
0: just made it easier. Well, and, and what I think is, is super interesting. It's like, yes, it's, it's a great, you're in a great situation. If like you're a enrollment manager who has that roster and you know, like you've got great relationships with your students, you, you understand at least to some degree their story. It's in, it's incredibly different when you have like one of the things I've learned, right? is like, I've got an hour. With this VP of marketing or this VP of, of enrollment or or a college president. I have one hour. I have never met these people, right? We've corresponded yeah. via LinkedIn or email or whatever. We're sitting down for, for this interview, and it's my job, right? I, I have to get to know them and, and understand kind of who they are, how they think. And I can do a little bit of research, but very quickly, like I can't, I can't spend all my time just asking level one questions, right? No, no one cares about level one questions about, Hey, Mickey, tell me about yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you do? What's your role? Like level one, right? You, you have to somehow be able to go from some pleasantry to, to meet to, to what I would call like level three questions very, very quickly. There's just, there's just not a lot of time. And so as you, as you, as you've talked about like casting and storytelling, one of the things that I've realized is again, if you can do this, if you can do this, well, it is immensely powerful, immensely powerful. However, it is, it is hard to do well. So, you know, that's, that's kind of one of my big learnings from, from this quarter, I would say in terms of like a bad behavior um, that I feel like I fell into in, in Q1 that I want to break, in in q2 is i i said yes to way too many like what i'll call like new initiatives in in q1 meaning opportunity presents itself it's something that i haven't done before and it's it was like a oh this could be amazing yes let's let's hop on this like let's let's take advantage of this opportunity and i think that in q2 it's it's not necessarily about being more selective about what I say yes to, but the, the number of new things, like, you know, capital N, new, never done before things that I say yes to. I think, realistically, I've learned that I can only say yes to a handful of new things in any, you know, quarter. Otherwise, um... I'm I'm drowning in all the newness and I'm I miss the routine. I miss I miss the tried and true. I miss I miss the known. It's too much time spent in in sort of the the unknown. So my challenge for myself this quarter is to not take on too many new things and really just double down on like the things that I've already sort of set in, into motion. What about you? Is there is there any sort of like behavior that you're hoping to correct and or and or change in this next quarter?
1: Um, I wanna s I want to talk about what you were talking about first. Yeah, go. Um I don't know where I feel like I had this conversation with someone yesterday, and I don't think I actually had the conversation with anyone other than in my mind, um <laughs> with myself. But it was cued <laughs> from a conversation to a podcast I was listening to. Um, and you, you'll find this hard to believe, but it was a podcast with Brene Brown. Um, um <laughs> Rose Shocking, Lee, Brown. shocking, but, um, yeah. Um um i think it's important and I, and i i'm i'm certain i've said this multiple times on this podcast but at the high level the strategies and priorities are, are to me if if those aren't documented you know I'm in, i mean I one of our three top goals that we have in there um and the, and if i have anything else that i really am focused on it it's um It's ensuring that the methodology that we went to uh, apply last year in terms of tweaking, not completely changing, but tweaking how we help clients better adopt technology, that we're continuing that evolution of how that improves and grows over time. Um, But when you have those priorities, because new opportunities arise all the time and you're facing that right now, right? Here's something we've never thought of. Oh, that would be great. How does that compare with the priorities that you have and how does that fit in? So that you're always having the opportunity to assess these ideas to say, I love this idea. It's fantastic. Because sometimes you get so excited that you overlook that it really doesn't fit. And if you commit the time that will be needed to make that work, you will miss out on hitting some other goal or priority that you have. And that's not to say you don't do it, but you need to have that conversation and acknowledge yes, we are going to do this anyway. We're going to sacrifice this because this is too new, too innovative, too good with great opportunities for results, short or long-term or both that make it worthwhile so that you make that intention because it's not just you that will be doing those things. Other people will get involved and you'll be changing their expectations, their thoughts, their plans, and you need that buy-in. And it's not just, Oh, Zach's got another idea. We got to go do that now. Like it's, it's, you want everyone on the same page and that's why you have those goals in place so that when someone comes to question you, whether that's someone on your team, someone above you that says, Hey, why are you doing this? These numbers are off now. You're right. These numbers are off, but these numbers you're going to see are going to offset that. And this is why, <laughs> or you're right. We have to pause this. We've got to get back to this. That yeah. is really, I think important. And it for me, I know that's critical. I, you know, I'm, you know, my Myers Briggs types. I'm I'm an ENFP, uh, and I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, you know, but if, if I were to describe this personality with one thing, and, and people want to walk away with understanding ENFPs, it's this: you will. Always, oh, oh, there's a bird. Huh. You just lose We <laughs> lose that's our focus. friend Oh, oh, wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. You, you, yeah, wow, that's amazing. You, you totally got yeah, me like, there. I was like, yeah, Mickey. Yeah, Mickey, we've heard it chirping. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> are you no, just no, realizing that there's a freaking it. bird in your window? <laughs> uh,
1: no, but that's my personality type. We lose focus. That's what keeps <laughs> me grounded to the, the say, okay, are we going to do this or not? And I used, to, and I still sometimes, I, well, not sometimes, I still today, but I've always, when I had a whiteboard in my office and I'm pointing this direction because that's where my board is, having ideas so that I don't forget them so that when the time is right, I can prioritize them. There might be a hundred at a time. I used to have, when I was still in higher, I had a board with tons of ideas on. it. We might act on 10% of them because the others, while decent ideas were not important enough, did not get the results, grand enough as results that we could truly build out a plan and implement to get those results that we wanted from them. Um, in a way, and, and some of them, the results don't have to be the biggest, but they have some type of impact. They have some other connection and you, you gotta be aware of them. And it wasn't just for me to remember, it's for the team. And it, when I have team meetings, I would bring them and we'd review them. We would talk about them to help prioritize things. That's really, I think, important, um, and for growth. So that was just my feedback on, on that. My thoughts in yeah, terms of yeah. what I've learned, like the, the lessons learned, um,
0: or what about a what about a behavior that you might want to change? Or like a like a as you as you think about this next quarter. Is there anything that you want to stop doing that you've yep. been doing?
1: Oh gosh, is it I stopped doing. It. So I made this comment um to to some of my colleagues in the last week. Um we're still at a size and operating in a way that we won't know that we're in a lull until we're already in it. Mm. And I don't want to lose sight of thinking about where we are, that if I see that we're not going to be um, signing and starting any new significant projects for three weeks, that that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that I'm accounting for that with what's coming up for, accounting for it with those three goals in mind, hmm. capacity for the, ta- for the staff, for Sales for the year and revenue collected for the year. For those three things that we that that so what am I what am I stopping doing? I don't know that it's forced me to stop doing. It's it's I have to remember that I need to observe and monitor that. So you know you've got someone that's, oh we've got we got this big project, we're definitely gonna do this with you, but we can't start for another six weeks. Not a big deal. If you can't start for six weeks, what does that do to my staffing capacity? What does that do to Sales and revenue, and how do you plan an offset for that? Doesn't mean I've got to go run and sign deals. I just have to think about that beyond those six weeks at that six week point and beyond that that has to be accounted for. Um, in the past, I would not have always had that deliberate thought. Hmm. Hmm. So That's it's good. not stopping doing it, it's just that you have to do it now. So, yeah, and I think, I
0: think a good way of even thinking about this and translating it to, to our listeners is even just thinking about sort of the ebbs and flows of when prospective students need questions answered, who and like who needs to be contacted in any given, you know, day or week. And I think that like, there's obviously going to be heavier seasons where you've got a huge influx of inquiries and, and questions and students that prospective students that need responses. Um, yes. And then you've got other seasons where it's a little bit of a, you know, A slower trickle. So, Mm -hmm. how how are how are you know your staff using their time when it's high season and when it's low season, and how are you ensuring that you're coupling the other strategic priorities of your enrollment management shop when you you aren't required to spend eight hours on the phone a day, right? Um, And I think that that's. That nailing that it is really what separates the best
1: enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. Yep, it's like for the, what you were just talking about, exactly that tactical bit of it to say, okay, it, it's it's March. We're going to have orientation a little earlier this year for some of our new students. We're going to start having them in March and April, and that's going to take up a lot of admissions time. Okay, that's fine, but don't forget that high school graduation is in somewhere between mid-May and mid-June. The last month, you're going, to, you're, not, you're going to lose any bit of ability to connect and engage with them one-to-one if you do visits. And I think a lot of two-year institutions or four institutions who draw very locally to them, then they're still doing those types of visits. And so what else? if you're going to use your time when you might normally be doing visits in March, working on the orientation stuff, how do you make up for that? Very tactical. But you have to do that. I think another example might be in our enrollment plan, we need to enroll uh, 1,450 new students this this fall uh, or fall of 23. Let's give us time. Um, and as part of that makeup, we've got two new programs that we're going to be rolling out. What happens when one of them says, oh, we're not going to be able to roll out in fall 23? We're going to have to do spring 24 or fall 24. OK, well, let's let's work out our marketing publications and how we communicate with everybody about this program. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to worry about that. But you also then had to make up for the students that you had planned to enroll for fall 23 in that program. Where else can you enroll those students and not those same students, but that quantity of students in other programs? How do we adjust? Uh, and I think that I know people have those thoughts, but then what does that mean as we trickle down to the to the more strategic and tactical things that you have to do from uh, lead generation and lead nurture applicants, scholar, all those things that have to follow uh, and trickle their way down? How does that get accounted for? So we know now that, you know, hey, you covered this program that was going to launch. You're not going to be that program's not going to launch. We're going to make this up. You over here, you cover these other programs. I need you to prepare to help generate not just 15 more students for them. I need 15 more students, which means I need 45 more applicants, which means I need 90 new leads. That may not be something that was there in their mindset. And if they don't think that going now into spring, recruit the juniors of high school season, if you're traditionally focused, that has to go in. got to have all that in place. Yeah. Um, and and what are the metrics? So what do we need to be looking at in these spring visits, these spring communication efforts? What What should we see? What results do we see now to know that we're on or off track for that? Yeah, no. Those are the quarters that you have. You know, you may not have your traditional three-month quarters, but they're milestones that you have in your enrollment cycle that you need to see and monitor threshold for.
0: Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. All right, final question, Mickey, is what are you most excited about in this next quarter? Um, again, we are entering warmer months, hopefully. We were just complaining before we hopped on how it's still like cold and rainy and wet in DC and Philly, and it's you know. We're well into April already, but um, over the next over the next three months here, what are you what are you most excited about with respect to the industry, with respect to projects that you might be working on, etc.? Um, there are
1: there are probably three projects we have proposals out for right now that I'm um, excited about. Excited in a few ways. One, get a little nervous because they're they're big yeah uh and um that requires a little bit more of my time Got the bigger the project the more involved i will be to make sure that we we've got the right goals for the project with the client we're all in alignment and everything's running smooth um and that's always exciting like you know there's everybody gets a little nervous sometimes um little butterflies in the stomach um the team seems to be like, oh, well, they're excited, no nerves at all. And but I, <laughs> I, I carry that as a driver for me to be sure we get this in and we get it right. Um, um, so so more we have, and and we have more large project proposals out than we normally have at any one time, and so exciting and nervous if if we were to be fortunate enough to to get all of them or most of them. Like, okay, now we have to do things a little differently. When you look at evolution, is this a part of the evolution of how it will be or a spike in an anomaly in it? And and how do we prepare for either or? So that's, to me, exciting. And because, you know, that will impact the next three months for us, for sure. I'm excited for warmer weather. Um, This season, the conferences have started back up. Um, That's, that's, nice and you get to see people you haven't seen in a while and and and, and exciting um but while i am responsible for a lot of business development i can't let that also distract on the other pieces sure oh we got to go and i've got we got all these conferences starting back up and you're getting invited to all of them you can't just like those priorities it'd be great to go to all of them but then what does that do to because that'll help with sales but what does that do revenue and capacity yeah yeah and so we have to be sure that we're monitoring all three of those and and thinking about that and the opportunities. Um, But I'm excited because we, we're starting to shift our our strategy in that a little bit. Um, Not just in where we're going, just in overall with conferences, it's going to shift and and, uh, we can talk more about that later after we make a decision on things, but um, yeah, we're going to, it's, it's going to be interesting. So I'm, I'm excited. So that's, that's things most immediate on our plate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's uh. I'd say, I'd say, you know, in in a similar vein, I'm I'm pretty excited to see, yeah, you know, what happens with this conference season with respect to what are the things that have changed. Um, do people have a different posture when it comes to networking than they did before, or is it going to feel like we all just forgot about the last two years and and nothing really, you know, just pick right back up where where you left off? But I'd say I'd say the thing I'm I'm most excited about is I think that there's some really cool conversation happening right now among specifically marketing leaders at institutions who I feel like there's this next generation and maybe this is just because I've been I've been talking to a lot of them in in preparation for this this master course but there's this next generation of marketing leadership that really, really cares about marketing attribution and ROI and are wrestling with these like very difficult questions that I don't think their predecessors wrestled with as much. And maybe, maybe they weren't able to wrestle with them as much because they didn't have access to kind of the the tools and the technology that we have access to today. But I'm very encouraged by what I'm hearing people, the, the kinds of questions that higher ed CMOs and VPs of marketing are asking. And I think that we're going to see an ushering in of new strategies and tactics that, quite frankly, are overdue to be included in institutional marketing, but then also just enrollment marketing. And I think that over this next quarter, there's going to be more content coming out. We're going to to see more conference presentations with people tackling these, these questions and I think that this is going to be, this is going to be a very exciting era in higher education marketing and admissions, and I think that we're going to start seeing directionally where things are going to go over over the next few months as more of these conferences, uh, as, as people present at these conferences. So, anyways, that was a, a little bit scattered, but mm-hmm. that's um that's what I'm most excited about.
1: I'll tell you two two little things with conferences I'm I'm seeing because I've been able to, to go to one now and I've seen um, the folks that are, that are typically usually at the conference. Warm reception. Everybody is really excited to see one another, treating it as if you know I haven't seen you in two years, regardless of the reason why. Um, really excited to see. It. But the other thing, and this is the Concerning maybe um, uh, thing about it is that as they go to re-engage their audience to attend the large, large number of email bounces mm. that have come to their audience that they market to mm. Mm. without having replaced that bounced email with the new person's email. And so they're experiencing that. And so if they need 500 people to attend a conference, And they normally have a list of 5,000. What happens when it's only 4,000 or 3,800? And they've planned for 500. That's going to impact budgets and all that kind of stuff. Um, So there's there's trickle down from that. Um, But I think this is where we're starting to see some trickle down impact of people leaving positions is they're not on the list anymore. They're not getting informed about it. Whether or not they would go because of the new role or not, I don't know. But still... um, Organizations are struggling, I think, a little bit with that, for conferences specifically.
0: Yeah, well, we will see. Time will tell. Um, but uh, I'm
1: I'm along for the ride. So absolutely.
0: Anyways, for helping. us
1: conversation. This was yeah. Uh, we yeah. Um, we don't normally talk these types of things on there, but I think there's some definitely some relatable content in terms of how we go about doing this work that can be translated easily into higher ed. Um, and then maybe if you're just curious about life outside of higher ed, what goes on in some of our lives? And this is yeah, absolutely part of it. Great. Well, appreciate your time, sir, as always. And thanks,
0: everyone, for tuning mm-hmm. in. Hey friends, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. If you have an idea for a topic you think we should cover on this show or riff on, please feel free to reach out directly to me at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org. And I will bring it up with Mickey, and we will chat about it on an upcoming episode. So again, that's Zach, Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org. And reach out if you have questions, comments, thoughts, ideas for things that we should be talking about. All right, guys, take care, and we'll see you next week.